Well, tonight I have a message I want to bring that's called, There is no substitute for the Word of God. People try, but there is no substitute for the Word of God. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 2 to 4, you've heard this, of course. And Paul is talking here to Timothy, and he says, Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not want to in, uh, endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, and they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn aside, uh, they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Wow. Lord God, touch us today with your word, Father. Uh, my words are meaningless without the Holy Spirit. So it's the Holy Spirit's connection we want today to our hearts. And we receive your word connected to us by Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to make connections in people's hearts today that they would leave here with something that would glorify you. And we thank you for that, Lord. Uh, one thing we learn from these verses here is that the word of God uh, is a key for convincing, rebuking, and exhorting. Convincing, rebuking, and exhorting. Okay, unless we take these words too casually, let's look briefly at these keys. Convince. In the King James, it's the word reprove. And it means that the word of God is to convince people of God's truths. Not with the intellect, nor with philosophy, nor with opinions, but with the scriptures that have been brought to us. How about that? This is not an intellectual pursuit of the gospel. It's a powerful spiritual experience where the word of God brings con uh, convincing to us. We'll talk about that later also. Then rebuke. Uh, here it just simply means to point out error and faults that are not in harmony with the scriptures and to correct people's behaviors or what they teach. Uh, exhort always has meant to encourage and build up the word of god encourages us and builds us up spiritually of course but it affects the spirit soul and body the apostle paul here is personally giving us his experience in all these keys he's telling this pastor of ephesus this young minister timothy uh by giving him ministerial advice it's as if he's saying, well, in my experience as a minister of the gospel, here is what I've learned that we should do with X, Y, Z. And he's giving Paul, uh, Timothy, Paul is giving him his advice as a minister. So Paul was constantly trying to convince people, right, that Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, and also what all is meant to a person's individual life and the necessity to find belief and faith in Christ. Paul was constantly uh, rebuking, constantly confronting and correcting those who taught error, uh, constantly correcting those whose behavior doesn't line up with Scripture, and uh, did not line up with the life that Christ had within them if they were believers. Uh, Paul is constantly exhorting and encouraging the body of Christ, especially due to the persecution right, that was around them, uh, to counter the false teachings that permeated that day, and probably through every century, right? In our day, we're no different. Uh, so the key here is Paul didn't do this 
convincing, rebuking, exhorting, apart from the word of God. Very important there. The word was the tool he used. So only the word can do this because it's a spiritual battle. People are spiritual that we're trying to reach, and the word is a spiritual tool to reach people spiritually. Seems to make sense. So we see uh, this scripture too often only in terms of ministry to others. Uh, we need to apply the word to ourselves as well. Hopefully we're doing that. And we need to personally convince ourselves with the word of God where we're not in faith and should be in faith. So we need to personally rebuke ourselves with the word of God where we have behavior that's not in line with scripture. And we need to exhort and encourage ourselves in the Lord, as David did. But with the word of God, especially when we're pressed with discouraging circumstances. And gosh, we came out of a year with a lot of discouraging circumstances that have lingered into a new year. Uh, only the word of God can bring us an encouragement and build us up in the midst of all this discouragement and attack against us. Uh, so the word of God is very important. As I said, it's a spiritual tool. Ah, this is scripture about that. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living. These are not Death Valley days in the word of God written by men's brains thousands of years ago. The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. That's a really powerful scripture. We can do a whole sermon just on that. But only the word of God, that's the point here, can go to a man's heart. Now, we have a whole teaching here called Biblical Anatomy. Can't do it tonight. I think that's in our uh, podcast somewhere, if you want to hear it. Um, it. You know, we are a spirit, we have a soul, and we live in a body. We're triune. We're made in the image of God. He's triune. We're triune. And um, spirit is where we get born again. We are alive now unto God. But we have a soul. And that's our intellect, mind, personality, memories, um, feeling realm. Uh, that's not born again. That's where the word of God has to go to change us. So that we're changed, uh, working out our salvation, working it out of our spirit into our soul, that it would eventually be in our bodies. As it says in John, as your, as the soul uh, prospers, uh, so does your body prosper. And um, But there's an area between soul and spirit that's called the heart. We're not talking about the physical pump in the body. It's a spiritual heart. Some confuse the spirit with the heart. It's not the same. And there's too many scriptures to look at to show that and convince. But there's that area where the soul and the spirit touch. And that area is called the heart. And that's where the word of God goes to bring change, where we bring out of our spirit into our soul realm uh, and are changed by the glory of God. The word of God pierces, as it says here in Hebrews, that division between soul and spirit. And uh, only the word of God can bypass the mind and go right to the heart of a man. The mind is not the pathway to God. 
the heart is. That's why speaking the word of God is so far more powerful than trying to convince people with clever intellectual words. I remember a true story of this lady. She was walking in, I think, a park here in Tom's River. This is back in the 70s, early 70s, in fact. She was walking in a park with a friend, and the friend was a bachelor Christian who needed to walk with God better. And the friend was trying to tell her about the need to be a Christian, and this lady really didn't care. But the lady quoted her, John 3, 16. And, oh, by the way, as she was walking, she was stoned. She was high on marijuana. And as soon as her friend quoted John 4, uh, uh, 16, she said she sobered instantaneously. All of a sudden, she wasn't stoned anymore, just like that. Because the word of God penetrated her. And she gave her life to Christ. Not by the cleverness of her friend's words, but the word of God pierced. And she had never heard that scripture before. I think she was Jewish, in fact. She had never heard that scripture before. Isn't that amazing? What the word of God can do just by speaking it, how it just cuts right to the heart. In 1 Corinthians chapters 1 and 2, we learn that uh, all those of the darkened world, all they know is the mind and the five senses. Anything else is foolishness to them. So in that way, the word of God stumbles them because it spiritually confronts them, as it's showing us here in Hebrews 4. And it um, confronts them in a way that the mind can't process this confrontation and strips them defenseless. So the word lays them uh, everything naked opposed to God before them and compels them to meet his eyes. Wow. Uh, Paul here tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 2, verse 4, that our faith should not rest in the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Too much in the body of Christ really is the wisdom of men. We need to rely on the power of God and the power of his word, because his word is power. His spoken word has a spiritual power that gets released when we speak it. Very important that we get this. Um, that is why in Hebrews here, chapter 4, verse 12, it's called powerful. Um, it's powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It is spiritually alive to bring life as the Spirit of Holy Spirit applies it to us. Uh, here it also exposes men's hearts to them, the thoughts of their hearts, the intentions of their hearts. It's a two-edged sword because in Paul's day, that was the best cutting implement uh, to quickly separate something. Uh, oh, got something to show you. Say, I'm home here, so my library. And guess what? I got a two-edged sword. I think you can see it here. I gotta be careful so I don't cut myself. I don't think the church is insured for that. Anyway, this is this is what they would look like. It's not an original, of course. This is what they would look like in Paul's day. In the um, in the Greek here, it's called the Macaria. Not to be confused with the Macarena. I want to make sure you pay attention. The Macaria, but in the uh, the Romans called it the gladius. We get the word gladiator from it. And it could cut on one edge, cut on the other edge, and cut in the front. So it's a three-edge cutter. That's a safety device so I don't cut myself because it knows I'm holding it. And um, amazing cutting implement in the first century. Uh, barbarians had these huge, gigantic swords that were very hard to swing. You get one big swing, and it kind of makes you off kilter. But when a Roman soldier would grab this and come at you, they had two of them, one in each hand, and come in both ways. The way they were trained, they were very deadly with these things. 
And of course, we're not here for a Roman lesson, but that's it. That's the, the Gladius. You can buy these things. They're really cool and they are sharp. So be careful. Don't cut your Gladius with it. Ah. Anyway, uh, this was the cutting instrument best in Paul's day. And uh, it shows us here that the word of God can quickly and immediately get to the heart of a man. Obviously, the Bible uses a lot of pictures because through pictures we understand better and are able to grasp spiritual truths. I mean, how does God explain the infinite to a finite mind? How do you explain nuclear physics to a fly? You can't. But through pictures, God gives us images that stick in us to help us understand spiritual truths, thus parables, proverbs. And um, here we see in Timothy uh, that we read before about preaching the word in season and out of season. We must see that the word of God, and now in Hebrews, gets to the heart of the man. So that's basically what I want to start about tonight to talk about is that it's vitally important that we have no substitute for the word of God. Men got a thousand and one substitutes for the word of God. There is no substitute for the word of God. So tonight I just want to give you three very brief things to remember of why we have no substitute for the word of God. Uh, let me start first of all by an example. Well, uh, tell you what, I got ahead of myself. Let's go to Psalms first. Psalms chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoff, scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Now in the Old Testament here, law is synonymous also with the word of God. So all counsel not found upon the word of God, whoa, is counsel of the ungodly. Wow. So if we receive counsel from others, and it's not from the word of God, either in verse or principle, it's counsel of the ungodly. Isn't that amazing? That means even Christians can give you counsel of the ungodly if they're filled with the wisdom of this age. Whoa. I don't want counsel of the ungodly. I want the counsel of the word of God. Sometimes we only see counsel as what we say to others. Uh or what others try to say to us, but we're expected by God to put the word in us and counsel ourselves. And that's the example I wanted to give. I got ahead of myself. I remember one time, well, it's a good idea to listen to the word of God, especially when you're going to sleep at night or just listen to it, listen to it, listen to it, because it goes in you. And I remember one time I was listening to Proverbs a lot. And in Proverbs chapter three, verse 28, it says, uh, this is a true story about me. Uh, do not say to your neighbor, go and come back, and tomorrow I will give it. Oh, I will give it when you have it with you, that is now. So I remember one time, I don't remember the circumstances, but I had something that I had to give to somebody, and I was going to say, you know, I'll get to you later this week, but I had it with me. And instantly, this scripture talked to me. Uh, do not say to your neighbor, go and come back, and tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. And what happened was, whoa, the word of God just rebuked me and counseled me. And I was surprised and, of course, did what I was supposed to do by giving the person what I was supposed to give them. don't remember what it was, but I did it, though. So that's the very first point here I want to bring forth. We need the word of God to counsel us. 
always remember that. We need to convince, rebuke, and exhort ourselves in the with the Word of God. Why should we do this? Two main reasons that I like. It will keep us from sin. I like that. And the uh, the two scriptures here are, the, I said two main reasons, the main reason that will keep us from sin. Two scriptures here. I love this. Memorize it, man. Psalm 119, verse 11. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Oh, say it again. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I would that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119, verse 11. Ooh. Uh, if we don't hide the word of God in us, we will always tend to lean towards sin. And we're very selfish people. We'll lean towards selfishness. Our sinfulness projected towards others. But if I put the word of God in my heart, oh, and hide it in my heart, that I might not sin against you, Lord. And that's all that matters. And then, not to sin against your neighbor either. The second scripture is in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. This is out of the NIV translation. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Now listen to this in verse 12. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Wow. I love that. It teaches us to say no. Come on. Turn on a stupid television program and the word of God is teaching you. No. No. It's talking to you and you can resist it. But it's teaching you. No. No. Turn that off. No. 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 It's teaching you to say no. I love that. The word of God teaches us. The grace of God and his word it says here, teaches us to say no. Very cool. Very cool. Second reason. So we need to uh, counsel ourselves with the Word of God. First reason. Second reason here of why it is vitally important to have no substitute for the Word of God. Number two is from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So, Second reason we need to develop a foundation for our lives in which we'll, we will always build upon. And Christ is the only foundation we can build upon. Scripture shows us that the apostles and the prophets are built upon the foundation of Christ. But we also need to remember in, Rome, in Revelations chapter 19, verse 13, it, it says that Jesus, he is the word of God. Now that's cool because he is the living word. And in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, that we have read uh, before, when scholars uh, believe for the word of God, they believe it's referring to Christ himself as the revealed word of God. So Jesus and the word can't be separated. You can't separate Jesus from the word of God or the word of God from Jesus. He is the living word. To reject Jesus is to reject the word of God. To reject the word of God is to reject Jesus. So therefore, no cult or false religion can that rejects Christ, and they're all out there, uh, can't know the word of God. Because if we reject the word of God, we can't find Christ. Very important we get that. And so the foundation, therefore, we build upon 
is in the word of God because it builds upon Christ. But the key here is it's not done once. Oh, I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Wonderful. But it's not done once. It's done daily. Because daily we are confronted, all of us, with lies and deception. Daily we need the truth of God's word to preserve us from sin. So it's very important that we daily build upon that foundation. The word of God is used for that, to convince us, uh, to rebuke us, to edify us. My third reason of why we, it's vitally important that we have no substitute for the word of God comes from Titus chapter 2, verse 1. But as for you, speak things which are proper for sound doctrine. And that's my third point. Why is there no substitute for the word of God? Because we need to develop sound doctrine. That's extremely important. And doctrine is simply a word that means you get a topic, let's say heaven, and then you collect scriptures from the word of God and arrange them in a logical order and a pattern led by Holy Spirit that we're going to believe by and live by. That's simply doctrine. So in other words, we need as believers to know why I believe what I believe. Oh, say that again. We need to know why I believe what I believe. Uh, what do you believe about heaven? Oh, I believe in heaven. Why though? What word do you have in the word of God to say so? What word do you have about getting answers to prayer? Surely you believe something about it. How about overcoming circumstances that are pressing against you? What do you believe about that? Is it from the word of God or by somebody's teaching? What does the word have to say about that that you put in you? Has the word convinced you? How do I walk out my salvation? How do I get victory over sin? Uh, how do I be a biblical man or woman, a biblical husband or wife? All these are doctrines that we hold and that we establish in us to live our lives by. How do you be a Christian parent? How do you do that? Well, you better get the advice from the word of God. Do you know how to do that? The word of God should tell us what it says about it. And that should be the doctrine that we build upon. Uh, praying for the sick, etc. Um, and, you know, we all have doctrine, whether we realize it or not. You do have something in you. The question is, what do you got in you? Funny story, um, Dwight Moody, great evangelist in the uh, 1800s. I don't know if it was him or Billy Sunday who followed him. One of them was the first to lead a million people to Christ. I think it was Billy Sunday. But anyway, Dwight Moody was the first one to preach a sermon coined uh, the new birth. Oh, I'm sorry, th that was somebody else. You must be born again. You must be born again. And um, no, it was the new birth. Sorry, it was the new birth. Anyway, um, he was teaching on that one time. He wasn't a very educated man. And when he came down from the altar, this guy with all these theology understandings confronts him and says, frankly, sir, I don't like your doctrine. And, Doody, and, and Moody burst out laughing and said, I didn't know I had one. So, you know, uh, so you got doctrine in you, whether you realize it or not. But what do you have? Doctrine can be sound or unsound. So how we arrange these scriptures in us is very important. Uh, too many people mix unsound doctrine with sound doctrine. I, I can remember somebody saying something once. I won't go in detail. But I looked at them and I said, where did you get that from? Oh, it's, that's in the Word of God. I said, no, man, that's Mormonism. That's a Mormon teaching. Uh-uh. It was the pre-existence of the human soul. That's Mormonism. Uh-uh. That's not biblical Christianity. 
but he he believed it. He mixed unsound doctrine, false doctrine, with uh, he meant well, with his understanding of the Word of God. He had a fractured understanding, and a lot of Christians have a fractured understanding of the Word of God, and that is not acceptable. We need to know why we believe what we believe. So, hey, great time for a television commercial. Our Bible school, hey, it's a great vehicle uh, in order to be discipled, and in order to develop personal sound doctrine. Very good. End of commercial. Uh, so all day long, we are bombarded by counsel of the ungodly. We're seeking our own selfishness, and we need to be confronted with the deception and the lies from a society that doesn't know God. We need to confront ourselves. We need to uh, convince ourselves with the Word of God. We need to rebuke ourselves with the Word of God. Uh, slap your mouth spiritually. And we need to exhort ourselves with the Word of God. Uh, we need a voice of sanity today that keeps us from sin and that points us to what would please the Lord in how to live and behave. Only the Word of God can do this for us. So there's no substitute for it. Paul knew we needed to convince, rebuke, and exhort, yet for those who minister, but we all need to talk to ourselves about it as well. A foundation principle for our Bible school, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a worker who does not need to be ashamed, but rightly dividing the word of truth as you divide it up in sections and doctrine. Um, we should not treat the word of God casually. Uh, it's very important that we take that seriously. Uh, we don't live for God through others. Hey, you know, uh, there's an expression is that people live vicariously through their pastors and ministers. That's a mistake. In other words, the victorious life they want as believers, they depend on their pastors or ministers of the gospel to bring them that mistake. They're only tools. They're only gifted within them and the gift operating through them ministers to us to help us develop our own walk with God, develop our own sound doctrine. We can't live through them because men will always disappoint us. They have clay feet. They're not perfect statues. We built them up in their hearts as statues until they make a mistake, then we knock them down. And I get disappointed. They're hypocrites. You know, they all are as tools. Don't put your faith in men. Put it in God's word, in Holy Spirit, who teaches us, as it says, he's our teacher. Uh, we can't live for God through others. We're responsible for our own walk with God. And how we treat the word of God means everything. So as I uh, bring this to a close tonight, uh, it's really very simple. There is no substitute for the word of God, folks. It has to mean everything. Does it mean everything to you? It's perfectly okay to say, uh, no, I don't think so. That's when you can pray and ask the Lord to bring you light. He's good. When you ask him things that he likes, he answers those prayers. You know, if we want the Lord involved in our lives, we need to be involved in the things he's involved in. And he's really involved in getting the word of God in us. Let's pray here. Father God, we lay ourselves real before you. Where we don't have a great interest, Father, in your word, bring it to us. Infuse an interest and a love and a passion and a thirst for the word of God as a dying man needs water. May the word of God be that water to us. Uh, Lord God, that... Um, we crave the word of God. 
There is no substitute for it, Father. We renounce and reject now personally all substitutes that we built within us for the word of God. Other people's teachings, favorite prophets, favorite apostles, favorite pastors. Lord God, they are not the, the substitute of the word. Your word, O oh God, stands alone and apart from men. Yet we appreciate their ministry. Your word stands apart, Father. May, Lord God, we build a new foundation today and in the days ahead of the word of God in us, that we would convince ourselves about the word, rebuke where we have been amiss ourselves, and edify and build ourselves up with a new foundation for a new day, with sound doctrine, that we would not be deceived in the day we live in, that we would know why we believe what we believe. Father God, help us. Holy Spirit, be my teacher. Holy Spirit, we rely on you for this connection. To everyone listening tonight, tonight Father, to everyone who would rebroadcast re this uh, podcast and hear it, may they find a new direction, Father, with your word, that they would have a convinced, uh, chiseled in the stone of their heart, there is no substitute for your word. And we thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.